Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. It is Monday, February 8th, Year of Our Lord, 2021. Alright, so this week, um, just a, a few things that have really dominated my thoughts. Um, first and foremost, I, I've been thinking about something. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to explain it. I haven't really put it into words yet. Uh, but I've been thinking about the idea of eldership and uh, the respect and the honor that goes with eldership. And just trying to work through that in my mind. And um, I really, I, I think this comes down to like, there, there's two distinct forms of eldership, I believe. There's there's elder there's the biblical sense of eldership, which is like in, in a church setting, um, an ecclesiastical setting, where where you have um, actual elders of the church, which are bishops. There's there's requirements that need to be met in order to be considered an elder in the church, and. Um, that to me that that's a distinct issue from 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 what I want to address but so you have that that class of elders um in a church setting and and what that is 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 somebody that you've really put yourself in submission to you you've submitted to their headship as a um authority figure a ruler a guide a shepherd um a pastor you know the the pastor elder role is very similar um, I, I think the pastor is kind of like the the head elder, but each elder in the church should should meet the requirements, um, so to speak, of, of a pastor. You know, like I say, the, the Bible outlines very, very detailed um, specific requirements that have to be met in order to be considered an elder. And so you have verses that talk about how you're supposed to um, give double honor um, to an elder, and you're not supposed to bring a rebuke. Um, against an elder you're not supposed to receive an accusation against an elder and so that for what I want to talk about here tonight that's a distinct category that's a separate category um, the other idea I have about elders or, or eldership um, is simply um, and this can be really divided into two categories I think too is is um, you have in, in a secular sense um, an elder would be somebody that's older than you, um, you know, and 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 it's as simple as that. If they're older, they're your elder. And then I think there's also a, a spiritual sense of eldership, um, in in the idea that this person has walked with the Lord longer than me. So, because I I look at being born again as as an actual thing, like a born again, like you start your spiritual life from the moment you're born again. And so you have a spiritual birthday, so to speak, each year. And so depending on how many years you've walked in the faith, like I, I, I view it as you're that old in the spirit. If you've been saved for six years, you know, you're, you're, you're spiritually six years old. If you've been saved for 20 years, you're spiritually 20 years old. And so I view like that form of being an elder, you're older spiritually speaking. Um, you've been saved longer, you've walked with the Lord longer. And so you might not necessarily be older physically. Somebody could be 45 years old and they only been saved for two years versus somebody who's uh, 30 years old and been saved for 10 years. 
Um, and then you have an interesting dynamic there where you, you have to um, think about the, the secular physical idea of eldership and the spiritual idea of eldership. So for, for the idea of what I'm thinking about when I'm talking about, set aside the idea of ecclesiastical eldership. Uh, that is a distinct category that does require specific um, criteria to meet. And, and that's a distinct thing. That, that's a headship position. What I'm talking about is not a headship position, but simply um, uh, being older, whether in the faith or, or physically. And so what I've been thinking about is what, what kind of respect and honor do we owe um, our elders? Not, not our church elders, but the, the elders that I'm, I'm talking about, this separate category. What kind of respect and honor is due to them? And I think it's very similar to the same kind of respect that you would have for a church elder um, without the headship. You know, I don't put myself under the, the authority and, and guide, guidance and, and shepherding of somebody who's physically older than me just because they're physically older than me. But I do give them, in a sense, that double honor, and I, I do apply those same um, characteristics that I would apply to a church elder in the sense that um, I'm not going to slander them or receive a rebuke against them. Um, or I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm not going to receive an accusation against them. I'm not going to bring a rebuke to them. And the way I was thinking about it is like this. So um, let's say your earthly father, your, your earthly dad, um, there's an honor due to him. What does that honor look like? Um, in, a, in, a, in a practical sense, I'm not going to position myself in a headship position above my earthly dad. I'm not going to presume to teach him or direct him or guide him. I think that's stepping out of line. He's my dad. He's my elder. And, and this would apply not just to dad, but anybody that's older than me. Um, there's there's, a, there's a, a difficulty... In, if you take that headship position over them, there's a humility there. The person has to humble themselves to be under your guidance or under your direction um, or under your correction or, or whatever it is. There's a humility there that, yes, everybody is required to humble themselves to each other. So, so there is that aspect of it, and that's their part. But our part is to give them the honor due to them. I wouldn't presume to tell my dad things. I wouldn't presume... Um, to correct him, um, I wouldn't. Pre and, and somebody who's older than me, a, a gray-headed, you know, older gentleman. Let you know, I'm I'm approaching forty. Let's say I'm talking somebody fifty or sixty. It would be out of place for me to go and tell them what to do, or tell them, "Hey, here's where I think you're wrong. Here's what you need to do." That's just out of place. You know, it's 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 it, it's not appropriate. Um, because it, it, it humiliates them um, a, as my elder. Um, instead, like I was thinking about, okay, well, how, how then do we work in like correction? Because, you know, if we do see an elder, um, a physical elder in sin, you know, we definitely don't want to leave that unnoticed. We don't want to, but I, I was trying to think like how difficult it would be. Like, let's say an elderly gentleman gets into my car or, or no, better yet, let's say he's driving. And I tell him, hey, you know, you need to wear your seatbelt. You know, you need to keep it under 65 miles per hour. 
Well, hold on now. That's that's not giving them the honor that's due to them as my elder. Who am I to tell him what to do? You know, he he's he deserves that honor and respect as my elder. And so instead, what I could do is I could point to the law. That would be an appropriate way to bring a rebuke. I could say, uh, hey, this, the speed limit here is 55, you know, and um, or, you know, the law, you know, states that uh, we're supposed to wear our seatbelts. Now, they still might get offended at that, but I'm not assuming a position of authority over them then. I'm simply pointing out the law. And even then, you want to be cautious about about how you do that. Um, understanding the, the sense of humility that comes from being told by somebody younger than you what to do. There, there's, um, there's just a trickiness to it where, where you don't want to offend them. And so you want to be careful on how you address that. Now, speaking spiritually, because this is really the heart of where I'm coming from. Spiritually, if a person is more advanced in the faith than I am, and what I mean by that is they have more years in the faith. It doesn't matter if I have better theology than them, if I have better doctrine than them, if, I, if I'm uh, more educated than, than them, if I'm smarter than them, if I'm more mature in the faith than them. I have to understand that same um, elder-type mentality that this person uh, has been saved much longer than me. This person has uh, an advanced uh, spiritual walk on me. It's inappropriate for me to come because because the moment I, I start bringing um, correction or direction or guidance or teaching to them, I'm placing myself in a headship position. I'm placing myself as guide, as director, as shepherd, uh, whatever the case may be. And I, I think that's inappropriate. I, I think it would be wrong for me um, to presume to have that kind of headship over somebody. It's, it's just inappropriate. Yes, uh, spiritually, it is their duty to work out that because the, when, when that humility comes, that's a, that's a sense of pride. Pride says, Hey, I'm older in the faith than you. Who are you to tell me what to do? So that person has to work that pride out in the heart and go, well, you know, I do have to humble myself. What if what this person is saying is true? I ought to receive it regardless of how it's coming. But I, in a sense, am, am placing a stumbling block to their pride by by assuming that position of headship over them. And um, so, so the goal is for me to recognize that, to recognize, okay, if I were to just go and tell this person, hey, here's where I see something wrong in your life. Here's what you need to do. That is dishonoring their walk with the Lord. I need to find a better way to do that. I need to um, find a wiser, more tactful, more gentle, more honoring way to bring, like, because like I say, if I see a brother in sin, I certainly want to address it, but I have to be wise in how I address it. I don't want to put that stumbling block in front of them, that stumbling block that's going to offend their pride, um, regardless of whether or not that, that pride is right or not. They do have that position of honor. They have walked with the Lord longer than me. Um, so if I see a brother um, doing something that I think is wrong, and they, they're advancing, like, and I apologize, this probably sounds convoluted. Like I say, I'm just kind of spitballing this, trying to think it through as I'm speaking. 
But um, when I think about younger brothers in the faith bringing a rebuke to me, the best rebukes, the most received that I've ever received from a brother is just them simply quoting a verse. And again, that's like the, the elder man in the car driving. I'm not telling him what to do. I'm pointing the law out to him. And so when a brother comes to me and says, uh, you know, hey, uh, look at this scripture and, that, and leaves it at that, they're not telling me what to do. They're not bringing a correction. They're pointing out my authority. They're pointing out the law to me. And, and just that simple rebuke of bringing a verse has been the most effective rebukes from a younger brother in my life. Um, a position, uh, if somebody's older in the faith than, than me, then, then I'm going to humble myself to their wisdom, to their guidance, to their instruction. Like I say, even if I think I'm more mature or more wise or more intelligent, whatever, they have advanced years in the faith. And so my, my position is one of, of humility under them to say, you are my elder brother, so to speak. Um, the younger brother doesn't presume to tell the older brother what to do. Um, now there is a distinction there in the, in like, cause there are young pastors or young Bible study leaders who have people older or older in the faith under them, but that's a different situation because that older brother or sister has put themselves into a position of humility. They've submitted themselves to the authority, to the leading, to the guidance of this teacher or pastor. So in a sense, they've said, we, we submit to you as our shepherd, as our head, as our leader, as our guide. And so then there, there's a distinction there then, because that person has, has, has willfully submitted to that headship. Now, now that person can act as that headship or that guide. But outside of that setting, outside of the pastor um, study uh, leadership position, there has to be a respect and a dignity and an honor given to those who are advanced in the faith. Otherwise, we risk offending them. We risk um, doing injury to, to, their, to their pride. And again, that's something they need to work out, but we need to worry about our part. And um, personally speaking, it is incredibly difficult um, to receive instruction or guidance or direction from somebody younger in the faith when I haven't submitted myself to their leadership. If a brother just comes along and says, hey, here's where I see you going wrong. Here's what you need to do. There's an immediate um, offense that says, well, hold on here. Um, I've been walking this faith longer than you. Um how are you going to presume to come and, and tell me? And again, I understand the pride and the arrogance there, and that's why this is a difficult thing to address from a personal standpoint. But it that's the initial reaction. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm X amount of years into this. You're only this amount of years into this. You know, it's kind of um, arrogant and presumptuous for you to come and... and um, to assume a, a, a role of headship over me, that you're going to tell me how to live out this faith, or you're going to tell me which path I need to take. There, there's an offense there that's made. So even if that person is more mature or more intelligent or has a better understanding, the way it's addressed, the way it comes from, the way they bring it to you with that headship position 
causes an offense. It causes, because there's that lack of honor, that lack of respect. The respect and honor owed to somebody older in the faith than me says that I can't come to them with a position of authority. I can't come to them with a position of leadership. Um, if I, if I'm worried about them, if I see something wrong, um, a, it's up to somebody older in the faith than them to bring that to them. But if I feel it necessary to bring it to them, I need to do it in a way that's not done in a headship leadership position. I need to do it with that respect and honor of an elder. I need to, to respect their position in the faith. I need to respect their years in the faith. And I need to find a way to come about this in, in a gentle way while um, discerning that respect and honor. Um, the same way with like rebuke or correction. So it comes back to that idea, like the two main ideas of the eldership in the church, I think, are we don't rebuke an elder, or three, we don't receive an accusation against an elder, and we give them that double honor. And um, that, that, that honor is, you know, I don't presume to teach or have headship over them. That rebuke is, um, I'm not going to, it's not my place to correct somebody further advanced in the faith than me. And, and I'm not going to listen to somebody who, who brings an accusation against them. I think those same principles apply regardless of whether or not that person's an actual elder in the church. Those same principles apply to somebody who is your elder physically or spiritually. We have to understand that double honor that, that, uh, and, and the rebuke aspect. I'm, I'm not going to bring an open rebuke to a brother who has advanced years in the faith on me. Um, even when I think he's wrong, even when I think he's doing something dangerously wrong, I'm, I have to find a different way to go about it than that position of headship. I hope that makes sense. It's, it's, it's about the honor. It's about the respect due. And, and when it's not there, because this is something I've experienced in my life, when that respect isn't perceived, when, when it's just ignored, when it's like, hey, I don't care, you know, the, the, the perception is, I don't care how long you've been in this faith, I'm smarter than you. I'm more mature than you. I have advanced knowledge than you. I'm more spiritual than you. And so I'm going to tell you what to do. And when somebody younger in the faith does that, there's such an offense that it becomes almost impossible to hear what they have to say, even if what they're saying is good. And so the, the, the wrestling part for me is like, okay, I need to humble myself and say, okay, regardless of the lack of respect and honor is what this person's saying true. Um, so that that's my part of it. I need to wrestle that out in my heart. Humble myself and say, okay, I, I need to receive this if it's true. Um, but it's so incredibly hard to do when, when you perceive in that person a, a lack of respect and a lack of honor where they just disregard um, your advanced years in the faith and say, it's irrelevant. I'm smarter. I'm, I'm more mature. I'm more spiritual. Um, and, and again, that, that's how that's perceived when somebody younger in the faith brings that, that correction or, or rebuke or guidance or direction to you. Um, so again, I, I apologize if this is sounding convoluted and kind of all over the place. I'm just kind of working through it. Um, And, and it's, it's a very, very hard thing to address because, um, like for instance, I, I fellowship with people that are much younger in the faith than me. And so the, it's, it's an incredibly hard topic to address because the moment I say, Hey, 
I'm your elder, that sounds prideful. That sounds arrogant. And so you don't want to do that. It's like, how, how do you ask somebody to respect you, to respect your years in the faith without sounding like you're demanding it? Without, because then, because it's like, who am I to to demand um, respect and honor from anybody? You know that that's prideful and arrogant. I don't deserve respect and honor from anybody. So that's my position. But their position is, yes, this person is an elder in the faith. This person is advanced in the years in the faith. So I I, I should be giving them the honor and respect. I shouldn't presume to teach them. I, pr- I shouldn't presume to to guide them or rebuke them. Um, I I in a in a in a group setting where we're discussing ideas and differences, I can certainly present my ideas and differences. Uh, but I'm not going to tell them. Here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to believe. Unless they ask for that. Unless they hum- submit themselves to 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 a, a position of submission. You know where they put themselves under leadership and ask for my counsel and guidance. Um, but other than that, like, I guess the best way to explain this is like, let's say <clears throat> I have a brother or sister that, that um, has been walking with the Lord much longer than me and they have charismatic tendencies. Um, they, they speak in tongues. They believe in the gifts of healing and laying on of hands and stuff. And I tend to disagree with that. I, I think that, that that's, you know, especially the issue of tongues, I think, well, that's not biblical. It's not my, I can't go and tell that person, hey, you know, what you're doing is not biblical. That's not tongues. You need to stop speaking that gibberish. That's offensive. That's, that's not my position. That person is, is an elder in the faith. They've got more advanced years. Um, in a group setting, if we're reading 1 Corinthians 14, you know, we can certainly bring that up. If I feel like it's a dangerous situation where it has to be addressed, I can point out, I can hand them the scriptures. I can say, hey, what do you think about 1 Corinthians 14? You know, I, I can point that out to them. But for me to come along and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that, that's that's arrogant on my part. That's that's disregarding that honor that's due to that brother or sister. Or even take it on a, a, a more severe level. A brother or sister advanced in the years in faith is struggling with a particular sin. Like let's say they're struggling with lust. And and I'm watching it. I see it. Um, now we're in a position where, yes, we, we, as our, we are to be our brother's keepers. So I, this has to be addressed. But how do I go about addressing that? I can't tell them, hey, brother, you need to, let's, you know, you need to bounce your eyes. You need to, you need to get rid of your internet. You know, you need to do that. That authority position is not a position I can take with a brother that I owe honor to. Instead, I can bring scriptures. I, I can, you know, flee lusts, flee youthful lusts and no fornicator. I can hand them those scriptures and say, what do you think about this, brother? Um, and a lot of times when a person's struggling with a sin like that, they'll they'll submit themselves to your counsel. They'll ask for advice and they'll ask for prayer and ask for help. And and so that's a different scenario. But I, I just think there's this thing of, of, of eldership that might be disregarded in a set in a in a group setting in a in a fellowship setting where we tend to forget that there there is an honor due um to those older than us um in a spiritual sense we have to be careful about how we go about addressing things with them um because 
again, uh, they're more advanced, you know, and, and it, it's just a really, really difficult thing to address because, because of the pride involved on one side and the lack of honor on the other. And, um, I just know that personally, when, when somebody younger in the faith comes to me and, um, assumes that position of leadership, regardless of what their motives are, where they're saying, hey, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to guide and, and direct and correct your thinking. Um, it causes such a, a subtle offense. There's, there's such a sting of lack of respect there that it makes it very, very, very difficult to hear what that person has to say. Um, so I, I don't know what my final point is here. I guess um, I, I just think that if a person has walked with the Lord longer than me, I owe them respect. Um, regardless of if they're struggling more than me, regardless of whether or not I'm, I'm running faster than them, regardless of whether or not I'm more mature than them, regardless of whether or not I'm more intelligent than them, regardless of whether or not I have better theology or doctrine than them, if I see that person as a brother or sister and they are advanced in, the, in, in years in the faith, I owe them honor. I owe them respect. And so I have to be very careful about how I bring correction or rebuke to them. I have to do it in a way that doesn't assume um, a headship position over them because the honor says, no, you are my elder brother. You know, I'm, I'm not presuming to lead you or to guide you or to teach you. Um, I'm, 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 you're my elder brother. You are the older brother or sister. I'm merely trying to gently um, help or, or, or address an issue that I see in a way that doesn't offend their honor, in a way that doesn't disrespect them as my elder brother, as my elder sister. And it becomes a very difficult thing. I mean, just put yourself in a physical, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the earthly sense. If your younger sibling is taking a position of headship over you, how hard that is to deal with. Um, unless you've submitted to it. And there are times, like I say, and if, if, a, if a younger brother or sister is leading a Bible study and I've decided to attend that Bible study, I've now put myself under their leadership. So now there's a distinction. But if they're just, if it's just regular fellowship, and they're just coming and presuming to teach, there, there, there's a dishonor and a disrespect there that I think has to be addressed. It has, there has to be a way. You have to figure out a way to, to um, respect them as your elder brother or sister, and and you have to give them that dignity. Um, because to fail to do so is a great offense. And it just, it, I be speaking from personal experience, it, it's incredibly hard um, to receive anything from that brother or sister when it's coming from that position of headship. It's, it's almost like, and again, I understand the arrogance and the pride on my part, but it's almost like a, who, who are you to teach me? You know, like there's this idea of like, wait a minute here, you know, 
I've walked this path longer than you are. You know, it's it's and and I get like I say, I get the pride there. The the pride, the humility, the humble thing to do would be to say, who am I? You know, just because I've done this longer than them doesn't mean I know more than them. Doesn't mean I see more clearly than them. I should receive from them. I should receive from everybody. Anybody who's who's bringing a loving correction or rebuke or edifying word or whatever. But it's just really, really hard to receive when when there's that lack of respect and lack of honor. Um, so I hope this all makes sense. Because I'm talking about this as a distinct thing from, from the church eldership. That's a, that, that's a completely different thing. That that is that is somebody that has been appointed by the church as an elder, um, because they've met those biblical qualifications. Um, they're they're a bishop or a pastor or whatever, and I owe them um, as as a shepherd, as a guide, as an authority figure to put myself under their guidance and teaching. That that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just simple fact that there we have older brothers and sisters. We have people who have have walked this path longer than us, who have run the race longer than us, and 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 understanding that, and discerning that, I owe them respect, I owe them honor and dignity, and I can't presume to take a position of headship over them, and and so when I when I when I want to address something with them, I have to discern how do I go about this while while maintaining their honor while uh, giving them the dignity and the respect um, that, they, that they've earned from their faith walk, in a sense. Um, so I, I don't know if that makes any sense or, at all, but it's just something I've been trying to wrestle through in my mind here this week. But uh, we're coming up on the break here, so i got a couple other issues that I want to touch on uh, before we wrap it up. So uh, stick with me, and we'll pick up after the break. Hey, welcome back to the Weekly Walk. I'm your host, Joshua Ingram. And uh, just wrapped up talking about uh, this idea of, of uh, spiritual elders um, and, and physical elders to, 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 um, in that respect as well. But, um, and just the respect and the honor that's due to them and, and how we address that in a, in a fellowship setting, how we go about showing that respect and honor. Um, so now I, I want to move on to another thing. Um, Something I just thought about briefly the other day as I was uh, uh, reading a book. And um, this is just one of those brief thoughts that passed through my mind, but I thought it worth worth um, um, expounding on, worth, worth digging into. Um, when the Jews were brought out of Egypt, which... Of course, the Old Testament, like all the all the actual physical earthly things that occurred in the Old Testament, um, have spiritual applications for us today. Um, like the, they're physical representations of spiritual realities. And so, when the Jews were brought out of Egypt, that that is a physical representation of us spiritually being brought out of the world. We've been saved. We've been redeemed. Moses representing Christ. We've been called out of the world. We've been removed from the world and we're being brought to the kingdom. And in the meantime, we have to go through this spiritual journey. We have to go through this desert, so to speak, where we're not of the world, but we're not at our destination yet. And and so that's that's 
That's where the born again find themselves. That's where all the born again find themselves. We've been called out of Egypt, so to speak, and now we're in the desert um, until we die and then we're in heaven. Then we're in the promised land. So in the meantime, we're in this journey in the desert and we're, and we're being led by the Lord, uh, you know, through through the pillar of fire and the and the cloud in the daytime. But um, and we're being fed the manna and, and which, you know, the the word of God and. And we have all these similarities. So, so the the Egyptian Exodus is a, is a physical representation of our spiritual journey. And one thing I was thinking about is I I thought to myself there was really three sins um, that the Jews were known for during that time in the desert. There were there were three predominant sins uh, that that brought repercussions that that drug them down that hindered their journey. And those three sins were um, complaining and grumbling. Uh, that would be the first one. The second one, and, and these aren't in numerical order. I don't remember the order that they're mentioned in Exodus. But uh, the second one would be lust. And, and the third one would be covetousness. And as I thought about that, I thought, man, those are really the three dominant sins in my personal life. Um, especially at this time and period that I'm in right now. I think about uh, complaining and grumbling. I'm, I'm, I'm often complaining in my heart and, and grumbling against the Lord. You know, not happy with my lot in life. Not happy being in this desert. Um, complaining against the Lord. Like, you know, why is this happening? Why why don't I have this? Why don't I have that? Why, why do I have to go through this? And then lust. Um, you know, I'm a single man. And I, I struggle with lust. And, and the grievous thing is, whenever somebody gives you advice about how to fight lust, it's usually coming from somebody who's married. And as a single person, it's like, come on, you know, you have an outlet. You're married. You you have, like, I I truly, I, I'm, I'm still wrestling through this lust thing, but, but I'm coming to the position where I believe that the only way to really escape it is to get married. And I think that's what Paul said. If you burn with lust, get married. That was the solution he offered. You know, he said, if you're struggling with this, get married. Then you have an out. And so like like people who who um, try, to, try to give you guidance or try to give you uh, uh, ammunition to use to fight against lust, they're usually married people. And, and, and it's really hard to receive anything from them because it's like you don't understand the battle. You know, you may have experienced the battle pre-marriage, but now you're married. You found the solution. So as a single man with without a spouse, I'm, I'm left in this world of seduction, struggling against these desires. And, and it's really hard for a married man to come along and say, well, you need to do this, this, and this. Well, hold on now. That's, you know, it's, it's just, it's difficult. Um, to receive that that guidance from somebody who has uh, the solution, but but anyways, um, so so that would be the second thing that I saw that they struggled with in the in the desert was lust, and then the third thing was covetousness. They desired the things of the world. They they wanted the old food from Egypt. They wanted that old comfort where they didn't have to worry about dying in the desert. They wanted those old worldly comforts. And so, and like, we, we, I find myself thinking that too, like, man, it sure would be nice to have this, this, or this, you know, and, and rather than being just content with the Lord's providing. And 
when you think about this comparison, it's pretty grievous because the Jews in the desert, because of these sins, brought destruction upon themselves. And many of them were disqualified from entering the kingdom, were, en were disqualified from entering the promised land because of these sins. And so you, so you look at this comparison, or at least I did the other day, and I thought, man, it's just like the Jews in the desert. Th those same three sins um, that deterred them, that hindered them, um, are at play in my life. And, and it's just grievous to think, after all these years, it's the same thing. I'm still complaining and grumbling. I'm still desiring more, and I'm still struggling with lust. And, you know, I certainly don't want to be disqualified from the kingdom. I don't want to be prevented um, from entering into the promised land. So it's like the, the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our example. They were written for our benefit that we can look back and go, oh, okay, I know how to handle this now. So we need to look back at that example and, and, and say, man, I can't be like them. I can't have this complaining, grumbling heart. Um, I, I can't be desirous and covetous of, of the things of the world. And I can't be struggling with lust. And so it just causes, um, like I say, when, when, when I thought about this, when I, when I made the connection between the Jews and my current state, um, it was pretty grievous. I thought, you know, just, uh, I'm no better than they were, you know, I'm in the same, same boat that they were and they were disqualified from entering the promised land. So I don't want to be like that. Um, which means I, I need to actively pursue a fight against these three particular sins, all sins, but these three are, are predominant in, in my life. And I need to uh, seek the Lord's help in defeating these things uh, because they're really weighing me down and, and, and slowing down my race. And um, I just haven't been able to get free from them. Um, and, and to be honest, you know, I don't fight like I should. You know, we, we ought to fight to the resisting of blood. But we don't, or at least I don't. You know, these sins come in and you just get focused on them. I wake up with a complaining heart. And rather than turning to thankfulness and gratefulness, I just sit and complain all day long. And uh, think, you know, the, the lust ties into the coveting. Because then, you you know, and that turns into complaining against the Lord. Like, Lord, why haven't you provided me a spouse? Why am I struggling with this? Complaining against the Lord. Not content with my lot in life. And, and struggling with that lust aspect. It's these same three things. Um, so I, I don't, I didn't really have a conclusion to this thought. Um, it was just something that occurred to me. I just saw the similarity uh, between the Jews in the desert and, and my current plight. And so I, I don't have a solution. I don't have an, a, an end point. I don't, I don't have a summary. Um, I'm just uh, putting it out there that I saw the connection. Where I go from there, I don't know. I, I see step one. I, I see I see the connection. What is step two? I don't know. Um, but um, I, I'm aware of that connection. I, I see the connection between the Jews in the desert and, and my current situation. All right. So anyways, the, uh, the third thing that I was thinking about this week, um, which is a really grievous thing, um, I have a lot of lost family members. Like, I don't come from a religious background. I don't come from a church background. What I wasn't raised in the church. None of my family. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, like, 
I have a very large family on my mom's side and a, a small family on my dad's side, but not a one of them uh, were church people. I, I, I don't recall anybody ever going to church on a regular basis other than maybe a baptism or a wedding or a funeral. I don't recall anybody ever going to church except when I was like about probably about 10 years old. Um, my aunt and uncle started attending, um, a, a church that many would call a cult, um, the oneness Pentecostal church. Um, but other than that, I didn't, there was no church life in my, in my family growing up. And so when I got saved in, in a miraculous faction, in a miraculous, um, uh, way, my family was left in that state. They're, they're still unchurched people. They're still, uh, not a one of them goes to church. Not a one of them, you know, I, I've never seen anybody outside my brother, um, who now also attends that oneness Pentecostal church. I've never seen any of them pick up a Bible and read it. I've, I've never seen any of them pray other than at meals when, when like me or my brother request prayer, um, there's just no spiritual life in them. There's no, there's no desire for spiritual things. There's, there's no, um, pretense in, in being, um, a church type family. It's just not, um, they're what I would call an American moral family. They believe in, in goodness and kindness and, and doing good and doing right. And, and if God is mentioned, you know, it's understood that we're referencing the God of the Bible, you know, that, that Jesus Christ is recognized as, as God in my family. That's, that's, you know, understood. We're not Buddhists. We're not Muslims. But again, there, there's just no, there was no church life in my family prior to my salvation. And there's nobody that, that gives any indication of being, uh, desirous of spiritual things after my salvation, like none of them, um, other than my brother and my sister-in-law. Um, who again attend the the oneness Pentecostal church and um, seem to to love the Lord and and uh, my brother you know is in in the Bible frequently and uh, they're they're heavily involved in their church uh, how that all plays out is a, a different topic altogether with the with the oneness apostolic ideology and and so that that's just a whole different thing that I'm I, I'm not going to get into now. But, um, so I'm left with this idea that that you know my entire family appears to be lost. Um, and when I say appear, because I don't know people's hearts, whether or not they've closed with the Lord, whether or not they they love the Lord and are uh, have salvific faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know, but what I do know is there's no fruit, and Jesus told that we Jesus told us that we can judge a tree by its fruit. There's no spiritual fruit coming from any of my family members. There's there's no love for the Lord. There's no hunger and thirsting after righteousness. There's no love of His Word. There's no love of prayer. There's no love of fellowship. Um, there's no submission to His authority on on right and wrong issues. Uh, everybody just kind of does what's right in their own eyes um, and presumes because they have a basic idea idea of morality and, and because they call themselves a Christian 
that a lot of them just, you know, think that they're okay, that, you know, come judgment day, they're going to make it. And so I'm, I'm left, you know, grieving for my family. And it just kind of hit home really hard this uh, last few days, thinking about like, if, if my family members were to die, you know, I've been blessed in the fact that uh, we haven't really experienced a whole lot of death in the family. So I, I haven't had to deal with a lost family member dying. But then it's it's this idea like, all right, people are starting to get old, you know, statistically, in all probability, um, people are going to start dying. And if they die in their sins, what does that mean? Well, it means that judgment is coming, that they're, they're going to face the wrath of God, that, that hell is is in their future. And so that's very grievous. It's very hard to think about um, your loved ones going to hell and, and, and perishing. So I was thinking about that, and I was just, I was really grieved about it um, the last few days, and just praying, you know, Lord, please save my family. Um, from from an earthly standpoint, from a, from a visual standpoint, it looks like there's been no spiritual, like I've witnessed to my family members, I've talked about Christ um, endlessly, um, to my family members, most of my family are on Facebook and have seen all the things that I've posted on social media. Um, they've heard my testimony. They've seen the evidence of repentance in my life. They've seen my life change. They've seen the evidence of Christ in my life. Uh, but from a, from a logical visual standpoint, it, there's been, there's been, that's hasn't made any progress. Like they're no closer to the kingdom today than they, than they were prior to my salvation. And and I understand that salvation is of the Lord, that tomorrow or tonight, you know, he could make it happen, that, that it, what's impossible for man is possible with God, that salvation is easy for God. He could flip a switch and, and grant them understanding, grant them eyes to see the reality of the hell that awaits them and give them the fear of the Lord and and, and bring his word and, and, and give them saving faith and and cause them to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that can happen instantly. Um, it happened instantly with me. It can happen instantly with them. But when you look at it physically and you go, man, a lot of these people are probably approaching death, and I don't want my family to die lost. Um, it's it's just, it's very, um, I don't know, like I say, it was just grievous to think about, and, and it was fearful. The last two days I was in fear specifically for one particular family member that the Lord just laid on my heart. And I was just thinking, you know, what if, what if she dies? You know, what, what if, and it was just overwhelming fear. Like I couldn't sleep almost and, and was, uh, just, it dominated my thoughts for, for a good 12 hour period. I went to bed thinking about it. I woke up thinking about it, had a good time of prayer, just turning it over to the Lord saying, Lord, just please, please, please redeem my family member. You know, uh, do what you have to do to save them. Just make them of your kingdom. And I, I don't know what else to do. You know, I, I don't know what else can we do. You know, a prophet's not accepted in their own home. I've I've shared the gospel with all of them. They've they've known my testimony. They they know that salvation is of the Lord. So it's like, what more can be done physically? What more can be done on my part? And I don't know other than prayer. And it, and and to my shame, I don't pray enough for them. This this kind of 
it comes to the forefront of the mind every once in a while, and then it just kind of fades. But um, I've just been thinking, you know, as I'm approaching 40, a lot of my family members are, are getting up to that age where, you know, more than likely we're going to start attending funerals here on a regular basis, you know. And um, I don't know. I just I just uh, want my family to be saved. I don't know how to handle, like, what do you do if a lost one dies lost? Like... I mean, the Lord is good. The Lord will provide. The Lord will uh, comfort. The Lord will. The Lord is going to do what the Lord's going to do. But, but. I don't know. I, I don't know what my point is here. I, I just was upset the last few days thinking about it. And, um. Don't know what I can do other than pray. And I just, I heard, uh. Perhaps there's wisdom, and I, I saw somebody post a Spurgeon quote where he said, um, what do you do when you encounter a hard heart? You just keep hitting it with the hammer. You know, <laughs> what else can you do? And so that's that that hellfire and brimstone message, you know, preaching the wrath of God. The wrath of God abides on you, bringing that hammer over and over again on a hard heart. Like, you know, if you don't repent... If you don't, if you if you're not born again, if you don't, if you, if you don't change, and of course that's spiritual change that's done miraculously, but if that doesn't occur, you're going to die in your sins, you know, and and face the just wrath of God. You know what what are you gonna do? You must be saved. You must be born again. Repent. Turn from your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, trust in Him as your Savior and Lord. Uh, God in flesh, raised from the dead. Uh, believe upon him and be saved. And, and just, you know, what more can we do than just keep swinging that hammer and, and praying, I guess. But um, anyways, um, I'm going to wrap up there. That, that's what I got for you guys tonight. Um, as always, I, I do appreciate you listening. I love you and Lord willing, we'll talk to you next time.